0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food All right. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, February 18th, is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Ben Jarofsky, your microphone is muted.
2: A couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was Sunday, uh, as I was saying, typical Sunday, I was uh, flopped out on my couch. Uh, chilling, had a cup of coffee, steam rising from the coffee cup, and had my beloved Bright One, my Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day, ladies and gentlemen, out and I was reading a story uh, in the paper. I think it was a Sunday. And there was a headline, Letter to a Young Lord Remembering Manuel Ramos by Manny Ramos, a Chicago Sun-Times reporter. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute, it's like the light went off on my head. I connected. That's right, that's that guy. Manny Ramos writes for the Chicago Sun-Times. He's related to Manuel Ramos, who was a young lord who was killed back in like 1969, right around the time Fred Hampton was killed. I gotta bring him on the show and talk about his dad, talk about the young lords, talk about the Black Panthers. So I made a call to Romana Hussein. (laughs) I wanna thank you, Romana Hussein. She had the hookup. She reached out to Manny Ramos. And one thing led to another, and here he is. So, Manny Ramos, welcome to the ben Jarowski Show. Thank you for having me. It's
0: uh, it's going to be fun. Might be a little echoey in here, so I apologize. It is echoey. Where are you? An aircraft carrier? <laughs> I'm actually in. Uh, I'm at the office right now, so I had to to run into like one of these little rooms here, so I can take my mask off and sanitize everything once I'm done. Wait, Tamara,
2: you're at the bright one. You're at the Sun Times.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I was in the I was in the field today, working out in the south side. So I just stopped here. It was closer to the stop here than go go back to my house.
2: You should go back to our studio, right down the hall <laughs> from the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our old studio was perfect. There would be no echoey sound at all. Anyway, you sound fine. No, um, no problem. Anyway, it was a really moving piece. Thank you, uh, Manny. Now, uh, when did it run again? I have to, uh, it was a Sunday. Am I correct
0: on that? No, it ran Thursday online and then it ran in print on Friday. Friday uh, okay. the, the release of the movie, They they pegged it for that. Why do
2: I think that I read it on a Sunday? Who knows? Probably Wait, in my mind. I might've read, you know, I might've yeah, been laying yeah. around for a while. I uh, just remember to reflect that on the couch. letter to a young Lord or remembering Manuel Ramos. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read it. Uh, some portions of it then we'll, uh, step back uh, and talk about very moving piece. I urge everybody to check it out. Thank you. Um, and, uh, so, uh, where's the part that I really wanted to, um, to read oh yeah um my dad taught me to avoid police at all cost if i ever found myself in an interrogation room a request for a lawyer is the only thing that should come out of my mouth it was important to remain tight-lipped even if a police tried to beat a confession out of me quote getting hit over the head for 48 hours straight is a lot better than getting a life sentence my dad would tell me again and again i was maybe eight years old and so I steered clear of police officers, even even distrusting officers in my own family. As a father, now it pains me to imagine speaking with my child about anything remotely similar. But for my dad, it was about keeping me alive. <laughs> All right, um, and that is a conclusion that your dad uh, drew from what happened to his father your grandfather. So let's just back up, uh, Manny, and just tell the story about the the Ramoses in Chicago. Talk about your grandfather. Uh, Was he born in Chicago? No. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was actually born on the island in Puerto Rico and um, had migrated here. And whenever that great influx of Puerto Ricans were coming to Chicago when he was a young boy. um, um, And, uh, you know, he grew up in the sort of like Lincoln Park, Old Town area, which was predominantly Puerto Rican at that time. Um, and, you know, but during that time, there was also a lot of racial reckoning that was happening in that neighborhood um, as, you know, long time, you know, traditionally white uh, folks who lived there um, were unhappy with the fact that, you know, Puerto Ricans were starting to come in droves. Um, you know, and, you know, while growing up, you know, I want to say as young as 13, maybe 14, him and his friends sort of banded together to sort of create what was called the young Lords in the early sixties. Um, and, and the reason why they did that, um, in a lot of ways was in response to sort of the, you know, um, the bullying and, and the racial resentment that was happening in the neighborhood, uh, from their white counterparts, um, sort of a way to, to sort of protect themselves. Um, but like with any gang that soon develops, you start rivalry, you know, having rivalries with, you know, neighboring, you know, uh, gangs and everything like that. Um, but it wasn't until sort of like the, you know, late sixties um, you know, when they were much, when they were, you know, much older than 13, 14 um, that they transitioned from being a, a gang into sort of like this political activism, um, you know, with the help of uh, the black Panthers and, and uh, you know, later down the road with, with uh, the young Patriots um, you know, and, and their primary goal was sort of to combat against urban renewal in Lincoln park. Uh, you know, fight for better housing. You know, at the time, you know, my, my, my family would always tell me that if you were rent back then, if you were Puerto Rican would cost you, you know, $250. Um, but if you're a white, the rent would be only a hundred dollars. Um, so they were, you know, they were just constantly trying to fight for better housing, um, you know, stop being pushed out or priced out as, as sort of Lincoln park was going over its facelift, you know, the first case of gentrification in a lot of ways, um, and also fight for, for better food access. You know, um, having, you know, food pantries for, for people, you know, lunch programs for kids and for, for those in need, running a lot of it out of a church um, um, that was in Lincoln Park. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, throughout that whole process, you know, he was still very young. Um, he ended up having, you know, two young children, um, which was my, my aunt and my father, um, who was the youngest of the two. And um, when he was about 20 years old, he was at a party in, uh, in Bridgeport, um, and there was a commotion going on with an officer who had lived across the street from, from where the party was at. Um, and he had came outside. And again, this is from a story that I've been told over the years. He came outside to sort of, um, you know, um, hamper that, that fight down. Uh, when the officer then drew his weapon and ended up shooting him in the face and shooting one of his friends, uh, in the arm. Um, and so he, you know, passed away because of that. And, and, you know, I grew up with my father sort of having this, you know, this trouble, uh, grasping with the fact that, you know, his dad died in such a way. He didn't really know his father. He was only a year old when he passed. Um, and, you know, growing up in Chicago in the, the, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and, you know, he was also one of the first Puerto Ricans to live in Logan Square um, and went through the same racial resentment that, that his father did in Lincoln Park, um, you know, having his garage burnt down. Um, and, you know, the same situation happened. He joined a gang in response of, you know, the, there was a gang called the Gay Lords, and, and he joined a gang to sort of like, you know, fight against that sort of racial uh, uh, bullying that he was experiencing. Um, And again, that 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 sort of went uh, a different route um, where he had many interactions with police officers and uh, often was a victim of police brutality. He would tell me stories about uh, the amount of friends he had that, um, you know, the police pen certain uh, things on them, such as guns or drugs, um, you know, beat confessions out of them. Um, So he was really paranoid and, and, and wanted to sort of protect me from that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, when he turned his life around, he made sure that, you know, if I was ever in a position like that, um, you know, that I, I sort of was on my P's and Q's and and he looked at things like the central park five, where there were young Puerto Rican and black men or kids really, uh, get coerced into certain situations. So he wanted me to sort of be prepared at a very young age, if that were ever to happen to me. And, and luckily, you know, praises to the, to the most high that, that never did.
2: Let's talk a little bit, go back in time uh, before your grandfather was killed. We'll get into the actual uh, incident itself because you, you gave us a lot to think about there, Manny. Sorry about uh, that. I just ran it was all good. It was a great, it was a great riff and I was just riding it. Uh, so no problem. Uh, you talked about the the young Lord starting out as a quote unquote gang and more transitioning to a more political outfit. Uh, one thing I know don't know a lot about the Young Lords, but I've spent a lot of time reading about the Black Panthers. They didn't start out really as a gang; they were already political. Fred Hampton was a very political guy from like, the moment he hopped out of the cradle. Yeah. Uh, some people have that gift; other people don't. Uh, so, talk about this. Are you? Was there a transition in your grandfather's life that you're aware of where he became aware? of like how his little universe fit into the larger uh, universe that was around him and gave him sort of like a political consciousness?
0: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, the Young Lords were inspired by the Black Panthers. Um, They saw the sort of the movement that the Black Panthers were doing and trying to uplift the community. And I think at at that certain point, um, they realized that they were too busy fighting with each other um, when in reality, there was a system in place that was sort of uh, oppressing them and and how could they sort of think and function within that system and try to try to change that in a very revolutionary way, as they would like to talk about a lot. Um, and I think just living in Lincoln Park at that particular moment, I think it was ripe for that kind of political activism that, um, you know, a lot of other Puerto Rican neighborhoods weren't necessarily fitted for yet. Right. When we think about like Wicker Park or. Or Bucktown, um, you know, those were Puerto Rican neighborhoods that uh, uh, weren't necessarily going underneath that that uh, cosmetic change that Lincoln Park was at that time. Um, so I think a lot of that played into the fact, the fact that you know, again, with with housing discrimination and you know, renters or landlords, you know, charging renters more just because you know they they had a Spanish last name or or their skin was slightly browner than theirs, right? Like I think that played a lot into it. Um, and seeing just the kind of like, you know, oppression that, you know, uh, Puerto Ricans were facing that time. I mean, it's a completely different era that people forget about and, and, and how uh, people were struggling to find food, right? Like it, it wasn't easy. There wasn't a lot of social safety nets in place to, to help people that barely spoke English or, um, you know, it, we're, we're just going through a lot of things, just trying to survive basically. And, you know, I think religious played a lot of it, a lot of, uh, uh, into it, um, you know, older Puerto Ricans at that moment, I think were really behind the idea of assimilating at all costs, you know, being very docile to the church. And um, the younger Puerto Ricans during that moment, I believe, were, um, you know, just like with any newer generation, they kind of want to push back a little bit and be like, well, why do I got to protect or why do I have to forget who I am? Why do I have to, you know, assimilate in a way where I don't need to remember my culture and, and where I come from for the sake of making few happy um, that don't necessarily want me here in the first place. And I, and I think a lot of that is embroiled in in the pride um, that these young men had back then.
2: I'm going to go back to your essay uh, and talk about the events that led to your grandfather's death. I'm reading from your essay, letter to a young Lord uh, remembering Manuel Ramos. This is the story I was told about the events that led to your death. Your two kids, my father and aunt, were asleep when someone knocked on your Lincoln Park apartment door. It was a friend, seeing if you were going to a party, but you were hesitant. You looked at my grandma, and she gave you a look that said, stay home. You told your friend no, but he was relentless, and you gave in. Do you ever find yourself thinking, oh, my God, Grandpa, whatever you call him. Damn, man, why did you just stay home like Grandma told you?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And and my dad used to tell me that all the time, right? Like when, when I was younger, he, he would say, you know, sometimes it's better just to stay home. It's not worth it going out. Um, you know, he would tell me, you know, sometimes if someone is, is you know, uh, encouraging you to sort of like leave your family um, and, and behind to go like have fun to really like give that second thought and, and, and really trust your significant other, right? Like if, if, you know, nowadays, like for me personally, when I... I you know, I'm, a, I'm a little bit older now. Um, but I would look at my wife and, and if she were to sort of like, like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't go out or maybe, you know, maybe just stay home. Um, I think I, I think back to that moment a lot. And, uh, you know, I, 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 reserve to often, you know, stay home rather than go out and, and, uh, to the bar, to like a friend's house or whatever. Um, just for that sake, I mean, that, that's sort of imprinted in, in, in my thinking and in the way my framework works as well, but absolutely. I mean, if he would have just, you know, stood home you know i think a, a lot of my dad's life would have been different and you know if i'm quite frank right like i believe like i probably wouldn't even be alive i probably wouldn't even be here right now um and i think that's something that i also have to sort of you know battle with myself with the fact that you know if my grandfather actually lived like what makes it that you know my dad ends up moving to logan square and and meeting my mom who just came you know from puerto rico in the the, the late 80s. Like, what makes any of that happen? And I think it's just sort of like this, you know, this timeline we're living in, and this is very abstract thinking, right? But I think the timeline we're living in now is a result of that death. And my, me being here in the position I am now is of that death. And that's something that I need to recognize and, and it's sort of you know a conflict that I'm dealing with too.
2: Well, you talk about that, we'll get into that later, you talk about your commitment to journalism. God, help us off, journalism. Uh, <laughs> dude, you should not become a lawyer. I'm trying to tell you. Uh or a hedge fund guy, man. Yeah, right. Sell my soul. <laughs> that idea, sell your soul. Oh, come <laughs> come hey, Manny, come on, man. Help me out. Um, so uh, I'm going to read again, go back to the essay, and I urge everybody to check it out. It's really well done. Uh, and uh, I'll read from your essay. You were unarmed. You were unarmed. But the off-duty cop said you pointed a gun at him. Numerous eyewitnesses told police that that was a lie. The officer was questioned and quickly released. Initial news reports said no gun was found. Weeks later, news accounts began saying a gun was found inside a doorway. Those at the party insisted no gun was ever found. Three weeks later, a coroner's inquest found the killing justifiable. And quote, man, Manny, that sounds like so many stories. Yeah, that I have read and heard since I moved to Chicago in 1981. That's how long I've been living here. <laughs> uh, God help me. Um, break it down for us a little bit, Manny. You know, like you're a reporter now. You're trained to like pick apart stories and try to find the truth. Everybody says different things, and when you put it all together, what's your sense of what the truth is uh, in this passage that you wrote?
0: Uh, the truth is my grandfather was unarmed. Uh, you know, I, have spoke with people who were at that party, um, who were there. Um, and you know, obviously I have a familial bias to that. Right. Um, but I mean, the, that's what the fact is. And the fact that, you know, pulling these archival stories of initial reportings back then, the first two and a half, almost three weeks of the stories that were coming out was that Manuel Ramos was unarmed. Um, and then, Out of uh, It it was like a weird switch where they say that a gun was then found in a doorway. And and I think that that talks about the sort of buddy-buddiness that the media had with the Chicago Police Department back in that time. Um, And, you know, we're seeing a transition a little bit of that now. Um, But, I mean, it it just it's 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 unheard of. or, or, Or why would, you know, certain reporters at that time say not go back to Chicago Police Department? and be like, well, why were you saying there wasn't a gun found these weeks before, but now there is a gun, right? And, and, you know, when we talk about what happened at that coroner's inquest, the state's attorney at the time also was talking about how after, the, after the, the, they found the justifiable, the Cook County state's attorney at the time said that, well, they have four different um, witnesses at the event, eyewitnesses that said there was never a gun, and they contest what, um, what, what, what um, the officer was alleging. And uh, then the state's attorney also decided not to press any charges or or hold this this officer accountable for it. Um, And, you know, I think it also just talks to the justice system, the fact that, you know, one off-duty police officer, uh, 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 alleged story sort of outweighed the eyewitnesses of close to a dozen people that were outside at the time. Um, You know, it, it seems objectively weird that, you know, you have these 12 witnesses saying a certain thing, um, contradicting what this one officer said. Um, and it's sort of just being like, well, there's nothing we can do. He was justifiable. Um, and another thing and I didn't get to mention in that story, but when the coroner's inquest ruled, there was a, like 20 officers there, um, that broke out in cheers, sort of celebrating the fact that this man, uh, uh did what he did and was found justifiable. I mean, that sort of just throws, you know, um, it, it just, it, it leaves a bad taste on, on, on what Chicago policing was back then sort of celebrating the death of a man, um, you know, who was just at a, at a, at a party, it was a baptismal party, right? Like just, just celebrating a death and just so that one of your, 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 you know, you know, color in arms or whatever you want to call it, your, your, your co-worker was found not guilty or found justifiable and subsequently was never tried or, 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 or pressed on any of this issue going forward. So I think it, it talks a lot about sort of like the justice system, um, the policing, um, and, you know, just the, the, the ignoring of what people say um, because the badge always outweighs it.
2: Now, of course, uh, Fred Hampton's murder, uh was in my humble opinion this is me talking not Manny Ramos. My p- opinion was a political assassination uh that was sanctioned by the head of the FBI all the way down to that state's attorney that you just uh, uh, referenced his name was Ed Hanrahan.
0: yeah
2: I uh, was carried out by police officers acting under Ed Hanrahan. It's pretty obvious to me uh that's what it was. uh your grandfather seems like a different. Uh, situation. It is. A, 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 a fight that just erupted s- spontaneously from s- literally by a chance encounter. That's my read of it. Do you agree with that?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is no way this is not a political assassination uh, such as Fred Hampton in any way. This was a a, a point of, of chance, right? Like, again, if he wasn't at that party, if he chose to stay home, this wouldn't have happened. If he didn't choose to go outside, it wouldn't have happened. If he chose to not attempt to break things up, that would have never, this would have never happened, right? He wouldn't have been that victim. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of a point of just like just happenstance in every step of the way that sort of led up to this, just choice after choice after choice. Um and to be honest like that sort of speaks to the character that my grandfather was like when I when I talk with some of these old young lords um they will tell me that you know he was he was a warrior he was always the one that was on the front line sort of like you know trying to when, when there were when there were out gangs you know he was out there on the front line fighting when it was a political movement he was out there on the front line again like he was just one of those leaders that led by example um, so it, it would make sense. He would be the one there trying to break up the fight, right? Like this is the way he, uh, was, you know, he would be that person. And because he was that person, this happened to him and it, a, a moment of happenstance, uh, nothing in comparison to what happened to Fred Hampton, uh,
2: in the movie. And I urge everybody to check out the movie. I think it was an outstanding movie. Judas yeah. and the black Messiah, uh, in the movie, there's reference to your uh, grandfather, uh, a, a cutaway scene that shows, uh, the funeral, I think it is. And there's a sign, uh, in the background with his name on it. Um, what's your thoughts in general of how your father and the young Lords, uh, fit in with the history of the black Panthers in the city of Chicago, uh, and of course the death of Fred Hampton.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, my grandfather was, um, I think the history of the Young Lords are instrumental to the history of the Black Panthers in Chicago specifically, not necessarily the national movement of the Black Panthers or in Oakland or, or necessarily that. But in terms of Chicago, the movement was um, particularly um, a a strong movement because of the the original Rainbow Coalition and, and the uniting of sort of the workers and, and uh, people across racial spectrums uh, to fight for uh, you know, social advocacy, like free lunch programs, right? Like these are sort of like initiatives that come from these type of organizing work. So I think uh, the young Lords are instrumental in that. Um, and the black Panthers came out um, in droves to, you know, in support of the death of my grandfather, right? Like over 3000 people were reported to have visited the funeral home on, on when he was being buried and, and, and during his wake, um, you know, Thousands of people marched in the streets of, of, of black, brown, white, you know, you know the the Daily News reporter, just angry people were there sort of at, upset at this was happening. Um, so I believe, yeah, the Young Lords are significantly important in terms of, you know, what the Black Panthers did here. Um, and because of that coalition building that Fred Hampton was a part of and, and really leading the charge, um, I think is is, is why uh, he was so admonished by the, or, you know, Villainized by uh, law enforcement.
2: Yeah, I'd like to uh, just add my little editorializing in here. In many ways, uh, the the that rainbow coalition that Fred Hampton was envisioning back in '69 uh, came true for one brief moment in Chicago when Harold Washington was elected mayor. I, I'm going to go out and say this, Manny. I, I almost every single uh, Hispanic politician that got elected in the '80s owes owes a debt of gratitude to Harold Washington because Harold Washington championed them, brought over black. And I'll give Louis Gutierrez credit, Uh, first uh, Puerto Rican congressman from the city of Chicago. He had a picture of Harold on his, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he cut that deal with Daley. I don't know, this is way before your time, uh, which got him to be congressman. But he didn't put a picture of Daley on the wall. He put a picture of Harold Washington. Some ways, you must appreciate the fact that that name, Manny Ramos is connected with this theme, this yeah. struggle of, to have a coalition, you know, of different uh, races and ethnicities uh, to challenge the powers that be in the city of Chicago, the way we do business in the city. You must be proud of that on, on some level.
0: Yeah. It's, it's honestly, uh, you know, an honor to to, to share his name and, and to uh, be tied to this, you know, very important history in Chicago, right? That that's not really taught or um, that's often, you know, like I mentioned, often forgotten, but like um, I think it's a very uh, it's, it's for me anyways, it's, it's extremely, you know, um, I've said it, like I I admired him. I admired the movement. um, And I'm just, you know, happy to, to share his name. Um, You know, I, I, I hope I can, you know, do half the things that he did in his short life. Right. Like, I mean, this is something that I, I'm, I'm always fascinated with and, and constantly trying to read up on and understand. And uh, the only thing that I wish, I wish I knew more about wow. him. Right. I, I knew, I wish I knew more of the, the kind of person he was instead of sort of the, what he meant for the movement. Um, you know what I mean? And um, you know, sort of, I wish I knew like, you know, the mundane things of like what made him laugh, like, yeah. you know, like that's sort of the stuff that I'm yearning for.
2: Uh, in, in your essay, you say in a lot of ways, you're the reason I'm a journalist. My dad always said, real power comes from the pen. I'm not quite sure I agree with your father on that one, but I'll let it go. (laughs) Daddy Ramos, you don't know my life. okay? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, uh, my dad always said, real power comes from the pen over the years, because of what happened to you, I've tried to make sure my work captures the humanity of events. So talk about yourself a little bit, Manny. Uh, you know, how did you, Go from this kid growing up in Logan Square. uh, I know you went to Foreman High School, uh, and to where you are now, uh, an ace journalist for the Chicago Sun Times.
0: Yeah, so um, I grew up. All parts of the west and northwest side of the city. So I was born in Humboldt Park in the region hospital. You know, I I lived there for some time, then made my way to Logan Square, then uh, Belmont Cragen, then Austin, uh, you know, and I ended up at Foreman High School where, you know, my biggest passion at that time, I thought I was going to turn, you know, pro playing baseball. Like I wanted to be a second baseman. And, uh, you know, that's sort of like what my passion was growing up, Um, you know, but then I realized that uh, I wasn't that good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So, uh, so I, I um, you know, I, I always had a, a passion for writing, you know, and, um, reading and, you know, I'm just a kid from the hood that really enjoyed that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, always with my father telling me that, you know, don't get into law enforcement, don't do sort of like these city government jobs, like, you know, do something that, that, that uh, that you're good at and that you are passionate about. And I think that kind of encouragement sort of like pushed me into sort of like this, um, very erratic and unstable industry that we work in. Um, and, uh, you know, at times I'm like, you know, did I do the right thing? But then, you know, I, I, I get to meet people and, and, um, tell stories that often don't get told. And I think that, uh, is really sort of like why I do the things that I do. Um, and yeah, and, and, you know, my goal, my, my, you know, I grew up in, in neighborhoods where the, the coverage or was always underneath a, A bad light, you know. The the news reporters would come in whenever there was a shooting. Uh, You know, there was never really any, any. You know, I I had friends in high school who died, and they never like interviewed his friend, like their friends, or like you know, I was never interviewed. And I was like, well, these people have lives, right? Like these people mean things and mean something to someone else. And that's just sort of been my goal and and my trajectory in reporting was sort of like telling the stories, um, you know, and I I keep saying this, but telling the mundane stories, right? The, the, The very important. Um, you know, not really thought of stories and, and you know, trying to humanize people and, and put them in a the light where um, their loved ones would recognize them or trying to, you know, put them in a the light because I don't know if I, I'm i doing these things 100% accurately at times, but like trying my best to sort of properly represent someone in my story and um, telling their stories as it goes. So, you know, and, and that's sort of like just what I want to do. You know, I just I just want to keep writing and keep telling these stories uh did you ever talk to your grandmother by the way about uh the events that happened
2: with your grandfather did you have that opportunity at least to make that connection i just thought of that
0: i uh, she never really liked talking about it that was the thing right so growing up um you know and and i should say this on the on i should have said this on the onset but um, she ended up marrying uh, a man who pretty much was my grandfather. Um, like, he he was always there for me, like, he, you know, all the time, you know, he was a great, great man, he passed away a few years ago, um, you know, but, like, I had a grandfather, um, and and that sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of guilty for, like, writing a story like this, But um, but at the same time, like, uh you know, I, 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 I just want that to be known. So but for her anyways, and, and he also was a young lord, I should mention. Um, but for her, it was always difficult for, for her to talk about it. She really didn't want to talk about it. And, and that's sort of the kind of person my grandma is. Um she's very sort of like you know, very direct, closed door. Like you need to do your own laundry type thing. You know what I mean? Like so like very like like old school, don't talk about emotions, don't talk about feelings. Um, you know, don't 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 rehash things that are in the past, basically. Um and that's sort of like you know, now, you know, she's kind of like her, her mind state's not the best right now. So it's even harder now, but, um, but yeah.
2: And what about with police officers? You talk so much about the complicated uh, legacy that uh, your grandfather's death had on you uh, and, and your father's, the, the advice he gave to you about police officers. Have you kind of like, I don't know, come to your own realization about the relationship between, uh, police and so many of the communities, they police, that's a little different than your father's or has your life experience just enhanced what he told you?
0: I think my life, my, well, my dad's experience has like informed me, uh, has put things in proper context. Um, so, I mean, you know, as a journalist now, I, I, I interact with police a lot, right? I, I try to communicate with their spokesperson. I try to talk to them if I'm on the scene and if something happened, right? Like I'm, I'm interacting with police officers a lot and in no way am I painting officers with the, with the broad stroke. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, my father just gave me proper context for the historical um, uh, uh, relationship that police has had with um, certain communities uh, within the city.
2: Yeah. By the way, it reminds me of a dear friend of mine, Wilfredo, who's probably going to be listening to this one. Uh, he was, the, the, we, this guy was always complaining about cops from the moment I met him. I met him in 1981, Manny. Oh, man, this guy. This, two, two of his sons became Chicago police <laughs> officers. Of course they did. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Uh, let's get, before you leave, uh, a review uh, for Manny Ramos about Judas uh, and. Uh, the black Messiah. What's your thoughts about that movie?
0: I think it's a fan. I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, I, I, I loved it. It, you know, uh, it was just all around so good. And it was, it was sort of, uh, jarring when I saw that moment of the casket, right. For the first time and and seeing the, 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 the Puerto Rican flag draped over it. Um, it, it, it was sort of, and it happened so fast, but like at the same time, it was so slow for me, right. Like it was sort of like a moment that paused that was like less than half a second or maybe a second, um, but it felt sort of like fast and short at the same, or fast and long at the same time. Um, but the movie was fantastic. I love the 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 directing in it and and the cinematography, and it was fantastic and just the storytelling in general. Um, I think the one thing, the the one criticism I would have was that um, uh, it, it it put the sort of like sole uh, focus on the FBI and not necessarily the Chicago Police Department. Um, and I think that would sort of be the one thing that, that I took away from it.
2: Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent on that one. That was a joint venture. Uh, but they didn't want, I, who knows what was their motivation with, but you're absolutely correct. by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be taking a deep dive on this with Sergio Mims next week, or, uh, I, I'm pretty much obsessed with this movie. And I urge everybody to check out the interview I did with Flint Taylor, if you haven't already, the lawyer for Fred Hampton's family. And he talks about the cover-up and the struggle. 14 years, man, 14 years. uh, They were locked into a courtroom battle and, and there was just so much lies and deceit on the other. We talk about transparency in government. What a freaking joke. Uh, but, uh, uh, I hear you. Yes. For whatever reason, they wanted to streamline the, you know, the evil people in a the movie. There can only be one bad guy. You know what I mean? The bad guy is a F- Jager Hoover and the FBI. It'd be too complicated if we mentioned daily or so, yeah, I'm with you. And this, this is Mike, right. And feel free to vehemently vigorously disagree with me, Manny. Okay. Uh, on this one. Cause it's, I'm going to sound a little like Donald Trump. Okay. Oh. All right, here we go. I am so sick and tired of Brits. Getting acting jobs that could go to real Americans, okay? You couldn't tell me you couldn't get a black actor in the city of Chicago to play Fred Hampton. You had to go all the way to England. Sorry, Manny, I just had to get it out. Okay,
0: I don't. I don't mind that personally. It doesn't. It, it doesn't bother me. Uh, this is Manny. The other thing I would say is that they, the actors, didn't feel. 20 and 21 you know oh, what i mean that's like they, for sure yeah, they can't... felt they they look much older than uh than what they actually were back then so that was another small minor minute minute detail
2: hey producers i could probably get you 50 20 year olds from the city of chicago who could have played Fred Hampton. i actually thought lakeith stanfield was absolutely brilliant Oh, he's one of my favorite actors yeah as the Judas character, and I, I was having a conversation with someone who was complaining: not enough attention on Fred Hampton, too much attention on Judas. I'm like, but that was a very compelling, very real story, Manny. You know what yeah. I mean? Like a, the story of uh, the informant uh, who was working with the FBI. Oh, and yeah. it, it's all true, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. This is your history. Uh, this is this is this is your history. I lived
0: through it. Manny was too young. You heard what uh, what Fred Hampton Jr. said, right? Saying that the movie exaggerated O'Neill's role in the whole thing. Uh, apparently, uh, yeah. he wasn't that close to to Fred. I, I don't I don't know one way or the other, but I thought that was interesting.
2: I'm going to bring Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton Jr. has been on the show a couple of times. We're going to bring him back, get his thoughts on this. Uh, but uh, well, in according to uh, Flynn Taylor, uh, the lawyer for the family, one of the big moments of revelation was when they uncovered. Through years after years of uh, litigation, uh, they uncovered the actual uh, uh, FBI memo that talked about a payout Mm. to uh, William O'Neill for the work he had done. And they showed that in the movie, by the way. I don't know if you remember that movie. Yeah, Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, I I think it was uh, despite the fact that they had to go across the pond to find someone (laughs) to play uh, my Donald Trump moment. You notice how Manny, like, uh, distanced himself from that? the news and views are better, not mine. (laughs) I'm not Donald Trump. Uh, Before we let you go, tell folks, like, what good work you've been doing, if they want to follow you, how they could follow the great journalism of Manny Ramos, go.
0: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Manuel Ramos, underscore, so... Two underscores at the end there and about well, the beginning and the end. And yeah, just follow along. Uh, you know, I do a lot of reporting based out in the south and west side of Chicago, uh, covering uh, underreported, underserved communities and uh, just trying to do my best to do some good journalism. And, and that, that benefits not only uh, the paper, but also the communities I, I work in.
2: All right. Very good, Manny. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. And uh, I urge everyone, one more time, Letter to a Young Lord. uh, Excellent essay by Manny Ramos in the Sun-Times. Take care, Manny. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right. The great Manny Ramos from the Chicago Sun-Times. Do you got any updates for us?
1: Hell yeah. That was a great interview, Ben.
2: Yeah, Manny's a... It's a class act. I'm really uh, thankful that he agreed to come on the show and talk about his
1: grandfather. All right, everybody on the live stream, if you want to check that out again, we're going to throw that up at about 7 p.m. tonight, and it will be available for download. But hey, Budget Week on the Ben Jarofsky Show continues. We heard the state's budget plans with Wednesday's budget address from Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. But now let's talk about. The spending plans of our Chicago mayor.
0: When I was a kid, I loved the Batman <laughs> TV show.
1: That was a good show. Wait, what show did she like?
0: <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV show.
1: Oh, Batman. Okay. yeah. My favorite part good of the show. Ben Jarosky show, when Ben asks, what's that again? To clips we've played over 10 times. I just forgot about I couldn't hear because the train went by I
2: forgot she loved Batman ladies and gentlemen It is a good and show got to, And she's going to take your car if you don't watch it <laughs> Very good show Wait time out let me ask you a, a question young man What What does Lori Lightfoot like more Batman or science Oh
1: that's tough <laughs> Science is back That's tough uh, Livestream chat weigh in on that one I'm having, a, I'm having a pickle of a time with that one all right. News ready. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and John Byrne. Mayor Lloyd Lightfoot's administration spent two hundred eighty one point five million dollars in federal COVID-19 relief money on COVID-19 relief. No, the Chicago Police Department and their personnel costs, prompting an angry response Wednesday from activists and some aldermen. <laughs> The number came to light as Lightfoot seeks city council approval to transfer about $65 million in unspent federal COVID-19 money into the 2021 budget after the Biden administration waived Federal Emergency Management Agency local funding matches and extended the deadline to spend federal dollars until the end of the year. So let's hear from one of the Chicago aldermen taking issue with the mayor's CPD spending. And well, anytime we read a quote from an alderman regarding our Chicago mayor on the Ben Jarosky show, that means it's time for everyone's favorite daily Chicago political soap opera. It's episode 334 <laughs> of a mayor and her alderman. A mayor and her alderman. B-Y-R-O-N-S-I-G-C-H-O-L-O-P-E-Z. Yes, that is how you spell your name, Mr. Lopez all right once again mayor lori lightfoot's (laughs) admitted what (laughs) those clips never
2: just i don't know I just love those clips. I got to tell you. It brings back all those memories of AM radio when I was a kid. Was little clips they
1: would play. In I always thought that was so clever. One more time all uh, the six, attic. One more, time, in. one more time. One more time Sixo Lopez. Can you please spell that name? B Y R O N S I G C H O L O P E Z. Thank you. And Mayor Life, what's
2: your favorite TV show again?
0: (laughs) When I was a kid, I loved the Batman TV
1: show. Uh, Thank you for that. (laughs) Mike Boast, what was it again about uh, Manigan? I'm sick of it. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's right. Power to one person. Now we could do this all day, guys. Yes, we can. I would be happy,
2: very happy. But I know we have business to get down to
1: Once again, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration spent $281.5 million in federal COVID-19 relief money on Chicago Police Department personnel costs And in today's episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman, we welcome 25th Ward Alderman, Daniel LaSpada, into the plot First Oh, he's the first First one, why did I say 25th? I don't know that all that reefer you smoke ah, good two years ago. The first, ward, you... first Ward Alderman. First Ward Alderman. I'm no dork like Jorofsky. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, well done. <laughs> alderman Daniel Espada last summer called on the mayor to put federal money toward housing relief or other programs to help struggling residents. He said he and other aldermen Alderman heard from residents that they didn't want federal money targeted toward police payroll. Here's the quote from the spot, a quote. We asked for assurances they wouldn't spend it all on police. That's the last thing people wanted, to infuse hundreds of millions of dollars into the into the police department right now. I cannot talk today. Speaking to Alderman in June, City Budget Director Susie Park said no relief money had yet been spent on police funding. But the Office of Management and Budget on Wednesday said specific coronavirus-related police costs between March and May were later identified for federal reimbursement once coronavirus relief money started arriving for things such as police performing wellness checks on residents, airport security when travelers had to be screened for COVID-19, security at the McCormick Place, coronavirus field hospital insecurity at virus testing sites. Laspata said he found it hard to believe. Park didn't yet know about those costs in June. Activists have planned a Thursday morning news conference to speak out against the big federal outlay for the police department compared with what went to public health and other programs.
2: Yes, I agree with you, uh, young Daniel Espada. I find it hard to believe uh, that she didn't know about it as well, and she probably knew about it. And look, that's your job (laughs) when you go before an alderman. We talked about this yesterday, D. Uh, in regards to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I think I may write a column about this, how naive I was. We talked about how I've been doing this for 40 years, and still I'm so naive. So, like the alderman came, uh, the mayor, Merrill Kennedy came to the hideout and told Mick Dumkey and me exactly what he what we wanted to hear, and then became mayor and didn't do any of it. And uh, Alderman Michael Scott said, But Ben, well he didn't say literally, but he, in so many words, you were dumb the believer. So this comes to testimony, back to testimony from high ranking budget officials. They'll say whatever they have to say to get to that hearing. It's not a court of law. They're not being sworn in. There's, They're not open vulnerable to charges of perjury. Yeah, sure. What do you want to hear? I'll tell you what you want to hear. That'll get us through the day and the papers will write it up. And then dutifully, uh, some reporter will know, well, she said something different six months ago. Yeah, well, by then the, well, no one's paying attention when she originally said it anyway. Now, We talked earlier about the so-called punt budgets. Got that lesson through. When a politician's in trouble uh, at a budget time, doesn't want to raise taxes, has no idea how he or she is going to fill a gap. Well, let's just borrow money and move money from here to there and call it a day and punt the tough decisions off uh, for another year or so. And this, what happened with Lori Lightfoot is what do they call it? Robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's an old budget technique that all mayors master early on in the game. Roy Lightfoot shows she learned it from Rom, who learned it from Richie, who learned it from his daddy. And Harold Washington could play this game as well. So if you have money in a pot that is supposed to be for uh aid for COVID, but you have pressing bills in your police department, just spend that money in the police department. Now, there was a great debate T, throughout the summer. Uh, you don't hear the debate that much about defunding the police. And this is where Daniel LaSpada is coming from. Daniel LaSpada, of the first ward. There was a movement to spend less money on the police and more money on things like mental health services, social services. You don't hear a lot about that uh, movement right now at this particular moment in the middle of winter, but that was a big movement uh, back in the summer. And the reality is that those movements weren't made. The police department uh, didn't get any smaller. They weren't. They didn't transfer money and programs from the police to social services. So you still have those obligations to pay. And I don't care who the mayor is. I'm going to defend. Mayor Lori Lightfoot here. D. All right, I'm defending her kind of harder, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, the last few months, ever since the Anjanette Young case was just. I don't know if I'll ever get over that one, but anyway, uh, the reality is, got bills to pay, got obligations to make. Any mayor would be facing these, uh, the police expenses. So you move the pandemic money over to the police, you look for the fine print that enable you, the language and the fine print that enable you to justify it, and you do what you gotta do. And that is that is why Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Governor J.B. Pritzker, and pretty much every mayor of every city, no matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, and every governor, no matter if they're Republican or Democrat, really looking to Joe Biden for that federal relief money because their coffers are hurting as a result of the pandemic. That's just the reality. We saw it in the state, we discussed it with Pritzker, and this is the reality here in the city of Chicago. they got to pay those police bills, so they're just gonna move the pandemic money over there. I don't know who tracked it. Was it Burton who broke the story? I know that pretty much every, I'm looking at the Tribune today. The numbers came to light as Lightfoot seeks city council approval to transfer, yes. Uh, so good job, John Bird, for uh, bringing that story out. And uh, all my lefty friends were immediately criticizing the mayor for doing it, and it's good for them. Put the pressure on her. You know, this just this big decision about these ultimate choices that Chicago is facing. How are we gonna spend our limited amount of money? The mayor's made it clear she does not wanna find progressive forms of taxation to go after the really wealthy in this town. So she's gonna have to figure out where she's got, what her priorities are, which direction she's gonna head. Uh, and uh, in, de- in determining how she spends the money she has. Indeed, that is why she can't stand the Chicago Teachers Union. Well, that's the second reason. The first reason, she still hasn't gotten over Stacey Davis-Gates for some reason for endorsing Tony Perikwinkle. She's kind of warming up to Jesse Sharkey, but she still can't get quite over J- Stacey Davis-Gates. But the Teachers Union demands, forcefully demands, for not just this mayor, but the previous one, to spend more money on social programs, mental health programs, nurses in the public schools, more money for the schools, more jobs, more union jobs, yes, but also jobs that directly work with kids in the schools. And mayors don't like to have that kind of pressure on them, D. They wanna be able to do what they want. They wanna be able to be free to take the pandemic money (laughs) that the fed sent us to fight the pandemic and spend it on cops. So that really ultimately that uh, the heart of her fight with the teachers union is that they're trying to pressure her to do things she doesn't wanna really do. And now Daniel Espada, Oh, hey, you think she's going to like Danny LaSpada after this one, D? You think he's going to go on the list with, let's see, the honor roll list of aldermen who really irritate the hell out of Lori Lightfoot? Let's see. We can do it. We could do the top four, right? Uh, I'm not doing it in any order. I'm just going to name them: Raylo, Byron Ciccio Lopez. Lopez, um, who? else is on this really gets her I guess Laspata is going to be on those I can't think of anybody else, those are the big two right Raylo, Byron Ciccio Lopez uh, she doesn't have any love for JT either, so anyway yeah, Daniel Laspata You probably didn't Uh, Make any friends in Lori Lightfoot administration by calling attention uh, to what the budget maneuvers she's making. She doesn't like it when people do that. Why? One more time. Because it limits her ability to make these budget
1: maneuvers. And hey, since you're throwing money around, I don't know, throw the Ben show some money. You know what I mean, Ben?
2: (laughs) We wouldn't turn it down. By the
1: way, so which alderman
2: would you put on that list? Definitely Byron. Definitely Raylo. She really was mad at Beale, but she's kind of trying to make up with him for the ninth ward. I can't think of any that. this just like the mention of their name really gets her going. But that would be the top two. Would you say Byron Sisha Lopez and Raylo?
1: Well, we got JT 20, Jeanette Taylor. Yeah. JT's on there. Yeah. Well, who else will be on this list? I guess we're going to have to find out next time because it's everyone's favorite episodic political soap opera a mayor and her alderman a mayor and her alderman b-y-r-o-n-s-i-g-c-h-o-l-o-p-e-z i I want an answer it's not something you ignore (laughs) i (laughs) think you're
2: 100 full of shit is what i
1: think if you think we're no offensive fuck you then (laughs) who (laughs) are you to tell me i'm full of shit that's our government guys (laughs) By the way, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, he's on that list too. Sorry, Carlos. Oh, she doesn't like him. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarovsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, so much more, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Find us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, <laughs> Benny J Show at gmail.com, and you can call us. Leave us a voicemail, 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. We'd love to hear from
2: you. All right, I want to thank Manny Ramos from the Chicago Sun Times. Outstanding job talking about uh, his uh, grandfather, the death of his grandfather. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as Manny Ramos, Danny Laspata and Lori Lightfoot will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of Petty Cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.